Dave, how are you? Hey, awesome, awesome. All all uh, Mondayed up. How, how are you doing? Uh, good. I came back from Summit and I slept for like 13 hours. Yeah. Yes. It was exhausting. Me too. Yeah, uh, I hear you. I hear you. Yep. Yeah, but one of the great things that I love about doing the podcast is whenever we get feedback from the podcast, because I guess one, it, it lets me know that people are listening. Um, so that's always a good sign. But uh, but you got some feedback, didn't you? I got some I got some unambiguous feedback uh, from uh, my dear friend, uh, Rachel, um, who uh, shortly after episode 155, where you and I were talking about kind of diversity, inclusion, hiring practices, and you and I were kind of wringing our hands and gnashing our teeth over the topic. Um, I uh, once once we published that, uh, I got a text message from Rachel um, who told me that uh, she liked some of it, uh, liked the beginning of it, liked the end of it, and then got so enraged at the middle of it that she wanted to scream on the path train. Um, and so I said, oh, that's interesting. Uh, Rachel, would you like to come on the show and talk about it? So today we have uh, my good friend, Rachel Myers. Rachel, you wanted to introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you, Gunnar. Um, <laughs> quite an intro. Yes, I did get enraged, but uh, in a good way, in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Rachel Myers. I work uh, currently I work at Google. I've been at Google for about 15 years now um, on the sales and marketing side. But uh, I, I'm involved in various uh, diversity and inclusion efforts at Google. I do want to point out, though, that I am here speaking in my own personal capacity and not speaking on behalf of Google. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, so actually, so the, so those magic those magic words, diversity and inclusion. Um, I'll admit, Rachel, that the first time someone laid uh, the acronym DNI on me, I thought that they were talking about some like internal Red Hat project that I just wasn't aware of, and then I realized it was D ampersand I, and that it stood for diversity and inclusion. Um, can you? I, I think I know what it means. Like when somebody says that, I kind of nod my head, um, but. Uh, is is there like is there a more specific meaning we can put on it? Like what when we talk about DNI issues, what 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 is it that we're actually talking about? So I think there there's sort of, there are two sides of the same coin. I would say right. So if we think about diversity um, more as the the mix of people that you have within your organization, so people who differ along uh, gender, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity. Uh, disability or um, religion, class. So a lot of the, the typical things that we think about demographic uh, diversity, as well as um, sort of the, the less visible diversity uh, 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 characteristics of, of, of folks. And so that's, like I said, the, the mix of people that you have within your organization. And then inclusion, the other side of that um, is you know making sure that in that diverse group everyone feels uh, equally respected, included, and and powerful, empowered to do uh, what they what they want to be able to accomplish within the group. Um, I like to think of DNI as uh, sort of if you think about a party that we're inviting all the you know a, a diverse group of people to the party, but just inviting them to the party does not mean that they're necessarily welcome. Inclusion is making sure that. You know, everybody who wants to get a chance to dance has that chance, and anyone who hates dancing doesn't isn't forced to dance. <laughs> mm -hmm. okay. okay, so 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 diversity is uh, diversity being the goal, and then inclusion being the kind of mechanism for creating diversity. Do I have is that 
Uh, yes, for creating diversity and for uh, allowing diversity to uh, thrive. Got it. Got it. Okay. And so I, I guess the making diversity a goal, um, I mean, that, uh, that, that feels good to me, right? Uh, just kind of intuitively, like as a human, um, having some, having a more diverse, um, group of people to be working with, uh, means more, uh, what different opinions, um, different approaches to the same problem, maybe covering blind spots that you might mm -hmm. have if you had a more like homogenous group. Is that, am I thinking about the goal correctly? Uh, yes. And also providing for, for, um, better innovation, better building of products, uh, as well. Uh, so the ability to have that diverse, uh, the diverse voices adding to, um, adding to brainstorming discussions, um, adding to product development. Okay. Okay. I got it. And is, and is that, um, is this, uh, is there any like controversy around these <laughs> definitions? It sounds like, I mean, it sounds like diversity. One of the things Dave and I were wringing our hands around in episode 155, uh, which we'll link to in the show notes, um, is how kind of fraught these conversations end up being. And even, uh, even as we're saying the words diversity and inclusion and uh, saying these, even as we're going through this definition, I'm, I'm feeling myself get more anxious and kind of tensing up uh, around, like, I feel like I'm going to say something wrong or um, I feel like I don't have all like the terms of art. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Like, like somebody's going to get enraged. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> I would say that perhaps, you know, me coming on uh, from a, from a point of rage was perhaps not the best place to start. <laughs> But uh, what I would say, Gunnar, is that that's that's a great place to start. You know that that you know you. I think as long as we're honest with each other about you know we we want to be better about talking about these things or mm -hmm. or being more open about them. Um, there's a realization that we don't. I mean, this is this is a America's wide problem. This is not just a workplace problem. We right. struggle with talking about race, race, ethnicity, gender issues, sexual orientation issues. Um, and so that's just sort of carrying over into the workplace as well. Right. And I, and I guess the, the there's kind of two lenses that I view this through. And actually, Dave, I'm, I'm curious what you think. So um, in, uh, I come at it through like I, I can come at it with my like hiring manager hat on um, mm -hmm. where my whatever my attitudes or discipline around diversity and inclusion is kind of informed and heavily coached by like my legal obligations and like all of the training that we go through as hiring managers. Um, and then I take that hat off and then there's, I, I imagine like a set of kind of things that I want to be thinking about or concerns that I might have just as an individual contributor and how I interact with people on a day-to-day -day basis. Right. Um, and so uh, I guess I think the thing that set you off was <laughs> if I'm going to put words in your mouth was uh, was when we started talking about the hiring practices. Um, Dave and I, I think at one point in the conversation, just kind of like threw our hands up and said, well, I guess we'll just have to do our best. Um, what was that what set you off or, or kind of maybe you could talk a little <laughs> bit about the source of your rage? Um, sure. I mean, I think that that we each have, uh, especially if you're a hiring manager, you have an extraordinary amount of of power. Um, and responsibility to to do more. I think there was there was a, a, a something in episode 155 around you know just try to be a good person mm -hmm. and um, and treat people equally. I think when we do that, it, it 
it can smack a little bit of, you know, of say, smack a little bit of, I, I don't see color or I don't see the differences in people. Mm-hmm. I think that what diversity and inclusion is trying to teach us is to celebrate the differences in people, but also understand how, uh, what stereotypes may be assigned to those differences um, mm-hmm. and be hyper aware of how we may uh, treat a a female employee or a gay employee or a black employee differently than um, than we would, uh, you know, someone who looks very similar to us. Right. So, so being, it, it's a, so you're saying like an opportunity for self-reflection um, and making sure that you're not bringing your own, uh, your own bias to the, uh, to the evaluation or, or to the, to the conversation. Right. Um, uh- Correct. So I think it's it's a, it's a question, and I, I've done this a lot myself. I mean, I came from a fairly privileged background, I, you know, upper middle class, white, half Hispanic, um, straight. You know, I'm I'm a mom. There's a, there's a lot of you know I'm in the majority in a lot of those categories, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, you know, if you look at your friend group, if you look at the group that you socialize with at work, you may find people who look very similar to you. Um, mm-hmm. And there's good reason for that. We there's a you know there's a likability of of, of the familiarity of, of someone who has a similar background. Um, when we're hiring, there there are biases in 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 that we we you know you may be swayed by someone who went to a school similar to yours or um, you know, or or worked at a company that you also worked at previously. So keeping that in mind as you review resumes, there's there's discussions about you know how can you further bring objectivity into the hiring process around uh, blinding resumes, so taking names and genders off of resumes uh, where where possible. Um, not even reviewing tech resumes sometimes before having an interview with, with somebody so that you go in sort of unbiased by their previous experience. Um, obviously, I, I don't I don't necessarily know your hiring practices, but um, so these are just some of the generic things that that people are um, are trying and recommending. Right. I've heard about the uh, I've heard about these blinding studies where, uh, you know, presented with a uh, presented with a resume. If somebody even just taking names off because you can infer a lot about somebody's kind of ethnicity or obviously gender uh, based on their, just based on knowing their names. So even just taking the name off a resume as you're reviewing them can uh, avoid you falling into a, a, some kind of a bias trap, right? Yes. So, so to me though, I wonder, so that's one end of the spectrum, right? Where, where you could do the blinding, but then the other side is how do you, you know, as somebody who's part of the majority, want to look for that diversity that you mentioned, Rachel, but without looking at that person in a one-dimensional, you know, like, oh, well, I'm going to look at them because they're a minority, and I'm letting that skew my, and, and I'm, and you know, so it's, so how how do you look at it from that lens? Of uh, does that make sense? It does. So sort of it's the flip side, right? Like how do you make yeah. sure that you're not you're not then biasing yourself too far in the other direction? Um, right. I mean, I think in I, sort of what reminds me of is um, I think there's a Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote around where she was asked, you know, how many women would it take on the Supreme Court to make it feel fair or 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 
you know, for, for it to be balanced. And she said that when there were nine women on the Supreme Court, um, so I, I, I don't, I, you know, in certain cases, I don't know that there's as much harm in sort of looking for looking harder for, for people with a different background that perhaps you, you wouldn't have necessarily looked at before. Um, I, th- I want to point out, this is not necessarily about lowering standards or, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, bringing people in who don't still meet a lot of the other criteria that you're looking for. I think it's just looking harder for them um, in uh, in places that you may not have looked before, his, um, historically black colleges and universities, things like that. Um, Dave, to, to your point, though, as well, it's it we do have to be very clear that we're not trying to paint these, uh, you know, these these paint people as or these groups as monolithic right that like right. oh you know we're we're bringing i think you still have to address the individual and and allow for the individual to be different uh f- from you know not all so it's not all black engineers it's not all gay engineers uh mm-hmm. are, are 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 like like something so um yeah i don't know if i i answered your question exactly but hopefully no, it makes sense. It makes sense. And um, and I noticed like what you said, too, about, you know, de- developing better products. I've I've heard that same thing, too, where like on the Andreessen Horowitz podcast where, um, you know, people would say, well, hey, why is why is Twitter not doing well in China? And that's largely because a lot of the Twitter engineers are uh, white males you know, in their 20s on in California. And so getting that diversity of thought, uh, you know, it leads to building better products because you can get more ideas and more backgrounds. And, I, and, I, and what I heard in your response to Rachel, tell me if I'm reading this right, is um, there's a it's, it's actually there's a there's a funnel problem or like a pipeline problem of like getting a diverse set of candidates in the door. And then as you're going through the evaluation, being um, in some cases and the, the blindness helps with the pipeline part of the problem. But once you've got somebody in the door, it sounds like you don't actually want to blind yourself to it. You actually want to be engaging with all the characteristics that a person brings to the job. Right. Um, because as we're saying, like that's actually an enriching experience for the organization. Um, and so we actually do ourselves a disservice if we, uh, again, trying to homogenize all the candidates, um, uh, because the differences are important and actually something that should be kind of celebrated and, and, um, yeah, uh, I guess engaged with, I guess is the best way to describe it. Um, so there's a kind of a, you, you want to take kind of, it sounds like what you're saying is like taking different stances depending on like where you are in the process or like the timing of it. Am I hearing that right? I would say yes. I think that there's still, even, even once you have a candidate in the door and you're, you're still evaluating, um, them in, in terms of I think it's also evaluating the the systems and processes by which you uh, grade or score or evaluate the candidates as well, right? So it's it's yes, you should see and celebrate their differences once you've you've had them in the door and before you've hired them. Um, making sure that your the 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 tests that you have in place to um, or you know, the evaluation criteria using the same set of questions for every single candidate. Um, that's mm-hmm. where we sort of see things go off the rails a little bit. So um, of of people, you know, they'll sort of you know drop a few questions or or find you know, be more buddy buddy perhaps with people who um, are similar to them. 
and then you're just sort of evaluating on likability as opposed to um, how well they could possibly do the job. I feel extremely seen right now. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> I think. Um, well, so th- this, uh, Rachel, you and I have a mutual friend, uh, Chris Grigo, who works at the Ford Foundation, and I was talking with him about this, and he had, uh, he picked up a rubric from uh, somewhere. I guess we'll have to go find out where and put it in the show notes. But um, he suggested that as you're as you're evaluating a candidate, being mindful uh, when you're setting a criteria for somebody, being mindful of um, your requirements for the candidate kind of falling into three categories. Um, the first being uh, tradition, right? Like all the, like everyone else who has this job carries this trait. And so therefore I'm looking for this trait in the candidate. Um, then there's preference. That is, these are things that I would want to see in the candidate um, or that I would prefer to have in the candidate. And then of course, like a hard requirement. And he suggested that uh, being able to kind of bucket your criteria or your questions into those three categories can help take some bias out of the interview process mm-hmm. um, because you're being mindful. Again, you're being mindful of um, what is tradition, which is a relatively, uh, you know, for the for the purposes of diversity is kind of like that's a, a relatively uh, what weak or um, that could have some bad side effects. Right. Um, mm-hmm. If uh, versus uh, a preference versus a requirement. Um, have you, is that a rubric that you've used uh, or, or you thought about Rachel, or are there other ways of, of, of kind of approaching the, the, the interviewing process? Um, so it's not a rubric and I, I, you'd shared that with me prior. It's not a rubric that I've used before, but I do mm-hmm. like the idea of thinking about it um, and bucketing it in, in that way. Because I think that it sort of, it, it, encourages you to think about um sort of what what you've added as a requirement that may not actually be one Mm -hmm. um for the role uh i don't know that i have any standard rubrics for for hiring um that i use on a regular basis but Mm -hmm. i'll I'll have to i'll have to dig around and try to find (laughs) some more examples there okay all right, cool. And and it sounds like the preferences and requirements could be like uh, could counteract tradition where mm-hmm. that which could break up the echo chamber. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, yes, definitely. And and also just not only looking at, uh, you know, a person doesn't come in and, and solely fulfill that role without actually interacting with anyone else on your team. So thinking as well about what's missing on your team. Um, hmm. You know, if you have, if you have a team of, and forgive me, we, we think a lot in terms of sort of uh, personality types around these places, but um, you know, if you have a team that's sort of very uh, prone to, to action and sort of very, uh, sort of may, might, think, uh, sorry, might jump before they think. Um, do you, how do you sort of balance that with someone who's a, a bit more measured? Um, so that's, that's one way of thinking about it. So not only preferences and requirements for the job, but preferences and requirements for how can you build a better team? I like that. I like that. Is it, are there, um, is there, so say I'm a candidate, um, and I'm on the other end of this process. Um, what, are there any like uh, dangers or do I have any responsibilities in the interview process? Like, is it, is all the responsibility on the hiring on the, uh, on the interviewers or are there, um, are there things that I should or shouldn't be doing as part of the interview process in order to 
um, kind of be a good advocate for myself? Well, so I think that's that's interesting because um, obviously we don't. I, I don't want to encourage a candidate to hide themselves too much in an mm-hmm. effort to um, in an effort to fit in. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's a question of understanding perhaps what stereotypes you're up against. I mean, you've you've heard stories before of people who you know may have a very Hispanic sounding name choosing to anglicize it for for resumes. Um, and I think that that's that 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 sort of breaks my heart that 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 that's what it may take in order for somebody to sort of get noticed or get past at least a, or get past a first pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think too often, unfortunately, a lot of the responsibility for um, changing diversity and inclusion within organizations falls on on the people, you know, sort of the the more mar- marginalized groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't know that I would necessarily recommend sort of any any changes other than knowing that these may be happening, uh, that sort of these these implicit biases may be occurring and may be affecting you. Um, mm-hmm. But trying to veer away from it becoming victimhood, right? That that you know you're not that you're looking for it or assuming that that every rejection is as a result of um, a result of of you know, your, your race or your, or your sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. We got through, we got through what, about 15 minutes of, of talking about this and the, and the topic of quotas hasn't come up uh, once. <laughs> um, I mean, for, first of all, because they're, I mean, they, they have a very specific like legal consequence, obviously, but, um, but it, that's often trotted out as like, um, you know, any discussion of DNI, like shortly thereafter, I feel like somebody's going to come down and say, like, well, we can't possibly have quotas because that's ridiculous. Or yes, we absolutely need quotas in it because that's. But I like the, uh, I, I like the framing that you're bringing to this, Rachel, which is much more about um, introspection and um, uh, actually creating a more equitable process for all the candidates, right? Um, because going through this process of just, you know, uh, for example, like if we're going to distinguish tradition from preference from requirement, um, or, uh, blinding, blinding resumes and, and some of the other things that we've talked about, I mean, these all seem like uniformly good things to be doing, um, with very little ill consequences for anyone else. Right. Yes. I, I mean, I think so that there, there are still discussions to be had. So beyond the, the process, the questions that you ask. So when we get into quotas, I think there was a discussion in episode 155 around, I think it sounded like a poor application of the Rooney rule. Um, and the Rooney rule was, uh, I have, I think I have it in the, in the um, show notes, um, was introduced in the NFL when they realized that, the, uh, you know, Despite the fact that a, a large majority of the of the players were African American, that the coaches themselves um, were predominantly white, um, and through the hiring process, uh, discovered that you know most of the people who actually even went up for high, for um, for these positions were also white, and so how could they increase the um, sort of the the diversity within within the the coaching. Uh, uh, profession within the NFL. So the Rooney rule was introduced to encourage folks to have diverse slates of, of candidates. Um, and I think, you know, the discussion was around sort of like, you cannot mandate that you only have diverse candidates <laughs> in the pipeline. 
but you can talk about at least ensuring that you've 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 made that that effort to go out and right. try to find diverse candidates. Uh, I think the other thing that I hadn't mentioned, and it, it's helpful to also t- thinking about the panel, the people who are doing the interviewing as well. So thinking about diverse mm-hmm. pa- diverse panels. So you know, are there are there women in your panels? Are there people of color in the panels doing the interviewing, so that you have that. Um, so that you have those voices in the room when you're deciding on candidates as well. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, I like that. and I've, I've uh, from reading a lot about this with the, with the diverse panel, that's interesting when, especially when you don't fully have a diverse workforce yet, and then all of a sudden, the the people that are on the panel feel like they're the token minority for whatever group um, that they just got pulled in to check the box at that they're diverse. Um, and, and so, and that seems, you know, some people have commented on that as being like a negative thing, but I, I don't know how you can get around that. I don't know how you, yeah. So I've definitely heard that as well. A lot of, uh, you know, um, there's actually a great HBR article around um, that just came out recently. It's a, the idea of office house housework versus sort of more of the glamour projects. So, you know, mm-hmm. t- taking notes in meetings, uh, arranging social events, that type of thing, that it does tend to fall more to, to uh, women, perhaps, and then yeah. also pe- people of color. And so mm-hmm. even interviewing in certain cases, because people don't particularly enjoy interviewing, <laughs> could, <laughs> could, could fall into that category as well. Um, and add to that, if you're if you're trying to create a diverse panel, I think you know the the suggestions around how to change this perception around office housework versus um versus other sort of uh more glamorous projects were around the democratization of the housework so if you know if interviewing or taking notes or whatever it is is not not the most exciting thing for for everybody making sure that everybody has to do it at some point yes um but then also acknowledging that that it's also extremely important how do you reward people for that in your performance reviews how do you um you know is is it the is it the big shiny project that's going to get somebody a promotion or is it possible that this sort of you know the the more the extremely important work of sort of keeping the gears going is still uh, is uh, again as, as celebrated as perhaps the you know the the big shiny stuff Mm-hmm. No, I, like I think that. I read that. I, I read that same article too, where it's like, oh yeah, let's let's have the, you know, of all the developers, we'll have the female developer order lunch or take notes or or whatever. And it's like, ah, dang it, um, yeah, <laughs> don't don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, we talked a lot about the different uh, you know categories that that often come to mind when it comes to diversity. Um, but um, one of the things I know we we had a session on at the Red Hat Summit last week was on neurodiversity, where one of the uh, Red Hat employees, I think co-presented this year again with somebody from Microsoft, where um, this lady has an autistic child and, you know, she's obviously very passionate about um, having neurodiversity. Um, and then related to that, there's, you know, as, as like something that often people don't think about as, as a uh, non-obvious minority, but um, another one was uh, I was I was talking with my boss uh, Paul Smith, who is he runs our public sector organization at at Red Hat in North America, and uh, we were we were talking about a news article where there was one particular company that was really um, 
you know, Silicon Valley company was very against doing business with the federal government, namely the DOD. And, you know, and they were objecting on moral issues and, and, uh, you know, for, you know, for, you know, they, they felt good and well-intentioned about that. And what was interesting is that my boss said, hmm, that's interesting. They mustn't have a lot of veterans working there. And, and, and I was like, whoa, that's, that's pretty amazing in terms of like, you know, veterans being yet another category of people that, uh, often over, get overlooked, uh, in term, but can be great workers in terms of, you know, uh, discipline, rigor, uh, passion, and and you know stick-to-itiveness and all that. But do you, do you have any thoughts, Rachel, in terms of like the inclusivity inclusivity for like non-obvious minorities or, or traditional? Like, how do you attract, expand neurodiversity, or um, work with encouraging veterans where they're say in Silicon Valley, there may not be tons of them around. Definitely. And I think, obviously, uh, I know that um, it was also brought up that sexual orientation at times can also um, can also be sort of the, one of those non-obvious um, yeah. categories. Uh, so I think first and foremost is is creating safe spaces for the for the for the employees that you currently do have who do fall into those um, into those groups. Um, what what we what I've seen be very successful is the, you know, the employee relations groups and making sure that, you know, you have a veterans group, you have a, um, a group for people who are over 50, you have a group for, um, you know, Jewish people uh, to allow to allow them to sort of carve their own path and have the, uh, you know, have um, affinity groups, let's say, mm-hmm. within the mm-hmm. organization. Um so that they can also identify uh, what perhaps what challenges may need to be tackled within the organization specifically. Um, so I think that's first and foremost, like to, for, for, for a candidate to know that you have a veterans affinity group um, or, or employee relations group within the organization. I think that allows them to see that, that you value that, um, that group and, and, and people with that background as well. Um, yeah. And, well, that would would you also say that um, you don't need to be a member of that group to be a member of that group? Uh, you know, for yes. instance, right? So, um, like somebody that is passionate, like like me, who has a daughter um, in computer science, and and you know, it's like I want to see more women in computing, and so I, you know, I shouldn't, you know, I, I should be able to uh, be able to be an active participant or even a leader in some of the women's groups to to encourage that behavior. Yes. So I would say that that there's, I think what I've seen most encouraging is the interest in allyship um, mm-hmm. lately of, of folks who are not gay, but want to be, you know, want to participate in uh, uh, gay or LGBT uh, internal events, um, who want to help to volunteer. I think what's most important when you are an ally and you know, do not necessarily self-identify as black or a woman. Uh, that just to to make sure that the, the you know the point of the ERGs is to put women's voices, let's say if it's a, if it's a woman's group, at the center. And so, what's most important is making sure that that women's voices are being heard in that case, or LGBT voices are being heard. Um, and any way that you can support and amplify that, I think, is helpful. 
um, and also educate yourself. It was just being able to sit back and listen in a lot of cases at events that that perhaps the the women's group at Red Hat puts on or or, um, or outside in in the larger community. Uh, so that you you know what sort of blind spots others may have about um, about women in tech as well. As you're talking, I'm realizing that some of my anxiety around this topic comes from the fact that I'm expecting myself to actually know what every group needs. And I'm realizing that I, there is no way that I could know what every group needs or what considerations need to be taken um, because I don't either have not been listening or I have not had access to uh, uh, the voices of those groups, right? Um, like if I, uh, if I have an autistic candidate, um, there are probably special considerations or things that I need to be keeping in mind when I'm evaluating an autistic candidate. Um, it's unreasonable for me to expect myself to know what those are <laughs> um, without mm -hmm. having a like neurodiversity advocate internally who can help kind of coach me through that. Right. Um, anyway, it's just, I just think it's interesting that I'm realizing that some of my anxiety is just sheerly just totally around ignorance. Like I just, I don't know. And I'm actually holding myself accountable for it, which is actually kind of unfair when what I need to be doing is going and uh, doing a little more listening. Yes, it's definitely. And, and so I love that. It's true. You cannot know everything. You are not going to have the same lived experience as someone else who, you know, who has lived with their race or their religion or or whatever it is their entire lives. And I don't think anyone, you're right, Gunnar, no one expects you to, right? Um, and But I think that as long as we're, we're honest with each other, that, that we don't, you know, on what we don't know, um, and open to hearing about someone else's experience uh, without being, you know, dismissive or trying to to couch it in like, oh, well, you know, they didn't mean it that way. Uh, I think that that's, that allows you to, to, to find more and more ways to be inclusive in not only your hiring, but your everyday interactions with, with people. Mm -hmm. So Rachel, what's, uh, I mean, we talked a lot about um, kind of diversity and inclusion from, you know, from a hiring manager point of view, from an individual contributor point of view. And that's kind of what, what I got from you is a sense of kind of what the current state of play is. What, what is it, what's coming up next in, uh, in the DNI project or, or DNI as a project? So I think what we're running into is, you know, as we start to celebrate the diversity of the people within within any org or within any community, um, the people who may fall into the majority may feel a little bit left out. Like, what you know, what about um, what about me? I may not be black, I may not be gay, but there's there's still you know importance and 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 my voice still matters. And I think what's what we're trying to focus on now is also making sure that it's clear that diversity and inclusion serves the greater good for everyone. Um, and so if you think about it, if we learn to be more inclusive of people who may come from a different uh, racial, ethnic, socioeconomic background, sexual orientation, it allows other people to also be different and heard. Um, so, you know, maybe that you're more of an introvert um, and everyone within your, your sort of near org is extroverted, but inclusion should allow that introverted person to also feel safe and empowered and included. Um, 
and that's not necessarily a sort of a protected class. Um, but I think that that's that's what we're focusing on next is making sure that it's clear that inclusion serves everyone and serves everyone well. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's great. That's great. That's great. Uh, Dave, did you have any other uh, questions? Yeah, I got I got one last one. So it, okay. it, again, uh, it's a very selfish question. Um, so Rachel, with with my daughter who she's 19, just finished her first year in computer science, and as she's uh, planning her completing her college journey, um, and as somebody who's been at Google and everything, what what advice would you have for her and other girls that are uh, and and uh, anybody else when it comes to you know uh, bucking the trend of of uh, traditional uh, workplaces that where where they are uh, a non traditional minor uh, minority. So, first, I would encourage her to sort of uh, to to educate herself about the potential again implicit biases that may be out there about women within within tech there's plenty of articles and and mm-hmm. and and blog posts about it i'm sure she's she's well aware um but looking for for ways in which perhaps that may have impacted her in her own in her own life if it hasn't that's fantastic and she hasn't necessarily experienced discrimination but there there if she hasn't then i would encourage her to to look for ways in which she can help sort of call out those biases when she sees it in others. Um, and also look for, I think a lot, a lot of times when we are, um, what we hear a lot from, from people who are in minority groups is that they don't see the potential to advance within an organization or advance within their career because they don't see good examples of people who have succeeded who look like them. Um, so you'll, you'll, you'll hear about that a lot in, for example, children's literature. There's a lot more books now, a lot more um, a, a, that showcase, you know, children of color or children with, uh, with different abilities. Um, and I think that the representation is so key. So find for, for your daughter or other women in tech, finding those role models, finding those, um, those people that, that she can look up to who from a variety of different backgrounds, but also, you know, um, who, who look more like her or, um, and if they aren't there, then thinking about how she can become that for others um, as well. Uh, And then finding, you know, encouraging folks to, to think about the, the version of employee relations groups within colleges. So the women's group in tech, um, how do you, uh, if if there isn't one within her current college, how can she she found one if she, if mm-hmm. if she's she's so interested, and in mm-hmm. helping to socialize some of the the issues that um, women may be facing in within within her um, mm-hmm. within her major as well. Okay, awesome. Yeah, there is a, a very strong uh, women in computing group at RIT, uh, uh, which she's a member of. So. Uh, she's on the right track, I guess. Definitely, and I think you know, just um, having these things at the at the at the forefront again. Without, I think we we try to assume the best intent in people. Um, you know, just because someone may have a stereotype about a woman in tech does not make them a bad person. It does not make you know. Um, it 
um, it's it's what we've all been socialized in a lot of cases to think. Um, so again, keeping that in mind, the the um, the idea that implicit bias is not malicious in a lot of cases. Well, uh, Rachel, listen, thank you so much. Uh, first, uh, for your righteous indignation, um, and then uh, and then second for, for speaking up. Um, and, uh, and creating an opportunity for us to do this show. I actually learned a ton and I'm really, I'm really thankful uh, for your time. Um, this was, this was wonderful. Oh no, thank you for having me on. This was great. Um, and I, <laughs> I can't promise, uh, you know, no future indignation, but. Um... <laughs> Keep the letters and cards coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Rachel, I know you you gave us a lot of great uh, content and links uh, that we're going to put in the show notes. Where should we send people to get those show notes? People should go to dgshow.org in order to find the show notes from today. Well, Rachel, thanks again. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Rachel.